Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from Epicos Church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. For more information about Epicos, please visit epicos.org. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Dave. I'm one of your pastors. We're going to be in the book of Philippians today. Bible that you brought with you, Bible in front of you, Bible on your smartphone. Um, we're going to be taking a look at Philippians. It's well-known uh, letter in the Bible. Some of your, if you've been around the church, some of your favorite verses might be in here. If I don't get to yours, I apologize. But there's also this theme of joy. And uh, as we look at this book, we're going to see the joy of the Lord and that theme come through. I, I was saved in junior high, but before that, my mom made me attend Sunday school. And so as a young boy, I often got in trouble because I didn't really have an interest in the things of God. I was kind of just made to be there. But every once in a while, there was something that was, would really grab my attention. And there's one particular song that I always loved singing. And if you grew up around the church, you might know it. I'm going to teach it to you today. Forgive my singing. I apologize. Uh, but I, I, just, it's a simple song. It's the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Okay? If you know it, sing along. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart. Down in my heart. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Oh, come on now. Where? Down in my heart to stay. And then the second verse is, and if the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on attack. Ouch, sit on it. I mean, what isn't there for a seven or eight-year-old boy not to love? You got yelling, you got screaming, you got actions, you've got the devil sitting on attack. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff. And so a couple of years ago when I saw this meme, it just all came back to me. I've got the joy, joy, joy down in my cart. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing about joy, as we see in the book of Philippians, is that the real pathway to joy actually isn't just singing or, or, you know, living on the sunny side of life. The Bible teaches us that the path of joy is loss, suffering, and death. And Paul, who's writing from a Roman prison, with execution hanging over his head, is encouraging this church that's probably in difficult times to have joy in the Lord despite their circumstances, despite the loss of life, despite the suffering that comes with following Jesus in embracing the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God that in order to keep our life, we must lose it. And so when we think about joy, When we think about the path that the Bible lays out for joy, I really do think that we see the themes of loss and suffering and death. Some of you are saying, wow, that took a hard left turn I didn't see coming. But let's take a look. Philippians, let's start in chapter 2. If you're a note taker, I'd encourage you to write this down. Humility begins our joy. Humility begins our joy. This is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, so I'm going to just read it slowly. I'd encourage you to follow along. Let it wash over you. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one 
Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Humility begins our joy. Humility begins our joy. Now, what I just read, a a big chunk of that was probably a hymn, a poem that, that Paul was either quoting or kind of reworking in his own way, but it stands as part of the center of this entire book. And it teaches us some things, primarily that humility is the beginning of the gospel. So if we're a gospel teaching, gospel preaching, gospel proclaiming church, we want to ground our lives on the gospel, right? We believe in Jesus. It's important to understand this simple fact that the gospel begins with humility. It begins with the humility of Jesus Christ, who though he was equal with God, did not consider that a thing to be grasped, be held onto for his advantage, but emptied himself. The first move of God is one of humility. The Lord of lords, the King of kings, does not exercise that authority to just come against us, but instead humbles himself, takes on the form of humanity in humility to save us, to redeem us, to buy us back. The gospel begins with humility. Sometimes we don't really fully understand that from the God side, right? That, that, the, that God is the first mover in our salvation. He is the one who takes the initiative. But as we receive it from our side, we don't always understand how that works in the heavenlies, so to speak, But even from our end, the gospel begins with humility. If we are to trust in Jesus Christ, if we are to look to him, if we're to look to the cross of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross as payment for our sins, that we need a savior, that we need to be rescued, there is a humility, there is a bending of a knee as we see in this passage. There is a confession that we have wronged God and we need redemption. There is a necessary humility to engage with God. And for some of you, the thing that's standing between you and a real relationship with God is pride and arrogance. That you really haven't done anything that wrong. And that you're kind of doing okay with God on your own. And you know that you've made some mistakes, but you know, you kind of work that out and kind of do some good things and God's going to put you on the cosmic scale and it's all going to work out. And there is an unwillingness to bend the knee, to acknowledge the creator and that he has a claim on your life. 
And that is what's keeping you from God. Because the gospel, the path to a relationship with God, begins with humility. The humility of Jesus displayed as in, in his incarnation. And the humility that is needed from us to bend the knee to receive by faith the righteousness of God. Notice that the passage is very clear. Every knee will bow. It's just a matter of when. We either bow our knee to Jesus as Savior, as Rescuer, as Redeemer, or we bow to him as Judge. But every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Humility begins our joy. How do we make this real? I think for some of us, it's just noticing where humility is in our weekly rhythm of worshiping God, right? Worship, just even coming and worshiping him, requires a humility, right? Where we're enthroning him and recognizing that that he is in charge. Even living in community, if you're going to be in a small group, maybe it's your first small group, you're experiencing the reality that community takes a humility, a willingness to serve others, to bear with one another, right? To lift each other up and serve each other. Serving requires humility, right? All of the steps of walking with Jesus require humility. Um, I I encourage you to, we're in the middle of a thing called Step Into Serving. I'd encourage you to take this out. Just just look at it. Hold it while I'm talking about this. Because sometimes this just looks like, uh, you know, hey, we need people to bring cookies on a certain Sunday, right? You know, and it's like you sign up for your slot and then you get the cookies when you don't make them and you you, you see what I'm saying, right? It's kind of like we all chip in and do our part. But that's not the point of serving. See, understand that our life works best when we align with how God designed us, how God made us. And God made us for the valve in our heart to receive from him and pour out to others. That's how he designed us. That that we would receive from God, and if you want to picture this valve in our heart, and then it turns outward, and so we receive from God, and then we pour out from what God has given us to people around us, people in our household. Maybe you have roommates, people in your neighborhood, people that you work with, whoever it is, people here at church. And he even calls us as the body of Christ to serve each other, and that in that process, we receive from God and we pour out. But the problem is, in in our flesh, in our natural life, that valve tends to turn inward. And we look to the people around us to pour into us and to kind of fill our cup. And that creates a heart problem for us because that never works, right? We're always looking for that affirmation. We're always looking for people around us to fill us up where the only way it works is when God pours into us and we're pouring out. And so what happens is when we take a step into serving, when we begin to kind of reorient, reform, kind of turn the valve of our heart outward, God begins to pour into us and we're able to pour out to other people around us. Now some of you are already doing that, right? Some of you have the other issue that you can't do too much pouring out, right? You, you need God pouring into you. You've got to find that balance. You can't be a, a sponge that's all wrung out. But for some of us, we don't have an outlet for that, right? And so there's this beautiful thing that happens when we take a step into serving and we come early and we make coffee, right? We get ready to teach a classroom full of kids. We, we are greeting people and we're serving them with hospitality as they walk in the door. Or maybe it's during the week and cleaning something behind the scenes or in the office or in a small group. There's something that happens to our hearts. It's not something that, that as a church we want from you. It's something we want for you. 
The same thing in worship, the same thing in community, the same thing when we're telling people about our faith. There is a humility that begins our joy. In fact, that's what all of Philippians chapter 1 is about. We kind of skipped over that and went right to chapter 2, but Paul is, is saying thank you to the Philippians in, in this church, in the, in the city of Philippi. He's saying thank you. He's writing from prison. They've, they've been partnering with him both financially and just in a heart level. And he's saying, I am so grateful, not just because of what I'm receiving from you, but I'm grateful knowing that this is representative of what God is doing, that he's pouring into you and you're pouring out to me. And I have joy because of what, how you're serving me, but I also have joy knowing what God is doing in your life. And he talks about the partnership that they have in the gospel. Humility begins our joy. Second, knowing Jesus is the center of our joy. Knowing Jesus is the center of our joy. Let's, let's turn to chapter 3. I'm going to read verse 1 and then 7 through 11. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. He says this, I think, 16 or 18 times, a version of joy or rejoice, the verb of it. Rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. And then he recounts all of the ways that he used to seek joy and kind of credit to his account all of these kind of religious activities of keeping the law and kind of he's, he's talking about these things. And then verse 7 he says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Jesus, knowing Jesus, is at the center of our joy. The passage that we just read is this beautiful description of the upside-down nature of the kingdom. Jesus taught us. If you, you, know, you try and hold on to your life, you will lose it, but if you lose your life for my sake, you will gain it. And when we begin to experience the things of God and, and following Jesus, that's kind of nonsense talk, and we just don't understand what that means. But then we understand that we're letting go of our life, and we're embracing our new life in Jesus Christ, that he gives us new life in him, that we must die and be buried with him and be raised from the dead and experience and put on this new life that we have in Jesus Christ. And therefore, knowing Jesus becomes the center of our joy. But in order for this to happen, it requires that we let go of some of the things that we hold most dear. In fact, Paul is making this point to the church in Philippi. And he talks about their citizenship. In fact, in, in chapter 3, verse 20, he says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is he talking about citizenship several times in this letter? It's because of who he's writing to. The, the city of Philippi was most well-known in the ancient world for being uh, very near the location of a famous battle. 
uh, where the perpetrators of the assassination of Julius Caesar and the related armies were finally conquered and defeated. And it was a very important part of Roman history that happened many decades before Jesus. And then the veterans of that war settled in Philippi and other veterans started settling in this. It was a long ways from Rome, but it was granted this extremely special status uh, where people who were kind of born and raised in that city became automatic citizens of the Roman Empire, even though they weren't in Rome. And so for everybody living in the city, their citizenship was like the absolute most amazing thing. And they held it tightly and they held it up and they had pride in it and they gloried in it. And it was so central to their whole life and the very reason they lived where they lived. And Paul was saying, this is a thing in hand. A thing that you hold on to that keeps you from Jesus. I'm pretty sure that none of us currently struggle with valuing our Roman citizenship over Jesus, correct? If you do, (laughs) talk to me afterwards, right? But you have something in hand or something that you struggle with holding on to. And even when we let go of one thing, we have a tendency to pick something else up. By the way, if you're at the beginning of your faith walk and you think, if I just kind of solve this one problem, everything with me and Jesus is going to be okay, right? But after he kind of works through one issue in your life, he often brings up another. He's constantly moving us closer and closer to him. Simple question, what is your thing in hand? What are you holding on to, right? We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that, it, that it's not about what we achieve, it's about what we receive, and in order to receive, our hands must be open. And in order to make Christ center in your life, you must let go of other things. And, and sometimes it's something bad like sin, but sometimes it's something good, something even godly that shouldn't become more central than Christ. Several months ago, I was kind of getting ready to go on study break and, and, and I was reading something and, and God challenged me with this, this concept of uh, ministry idolatry. You know, where, where I realized that in my heart, in a certain way, I was placing more emphasis and more value on doing ministry. It's a good thing. Preaching the word, proclaiming the gospel, serving other people, being a pastor. And it can... It can become the thing in hand. It's a good thing. It's a godly thing. It's what God has called me to do. But knowing Jesus is of surpassing worth. And that's what Paul was saying earlier. There's all these good godly things. My own righteousness, he was recounting all of these ways. All of it, all of it is rubbish compared with the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Is Jesus Christ and knowing Jesus the center of all things? Last week we looked at that and we kind of drew that pie chart, right? Where it's, is Jesus just a compartment of your life or is Jesus the hub and everything else rotates around that? You know, you and I are value people. No one wants to get ripped off, right? Um, We want the best for the least. I grew up with a mom who was a, a value shopper and so to this day, anytime I see one of those orange-red clearance stickers, I just kind of like get a little excited. Does anybody else, you know what I'm talking about? Oh, it's 90% off. I have no need for it, but I want to buy it, right? Because we value value, right? And the Bible doesn't tell us that we shouldn't be value-seeking people. It's not that the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God tells us not to seek value. It just makes clear what the absolute most valuable thing is. Knowing Jesus. 
And once we understand the value of knowing Jesus, then we purposefully count as lost everything else, and we hold this dear. So take that, you know, all the way to the end. Because we value the things in this life until you get to your deathbed. They call that a deathbed perspective. Think about the end of your life and evaluate things. And I would encourage you to just move that a little bit forward. Think about when you stand before Christ at the end of all things. What is going to matter? What, is, what are the things in your life? What are the priorities that are going to matter? And number one is knowing Jesus. And Paul says, count everything else as loss. Because, by the way, that old phrase, you know, you can't take it with you, is true. Right? When, when we get to the end, all of the things that we're trying to accomplish and accumulate in life have no value. I just was at a, a museum where they had the big exhibit of uh, Egyptian kings, right? And there was this one giant boat, literally buried with a boat. Some of you really love your boat. You're thinking, that's not a bad idea, right? But, like, bury me with my boat. You, it's not, it's done. It's, it's, it's rotting in a tomb. We can't take it with us. But pretend that you can take it with you just for a minute, okay? Just for a second. Then think about how the Bible describes heaven. Its streets are gold, right? This has sometimes confused me. Maybe it confuses you. I remember as a kid thinking, why are the streets of gold? You know, know, I just kind of wrapping my mind. And there's probably lots of different reasons, maybe to explain the beauty of heaven or the value of heaven. But I like to think of it as kind of explaining how worthless gold is, right? Because our entire lives, pretend for a minute that you can take it with you, our entire lives are, are kind of spent accumulating gold, if you will, the, the concentration of wealth, the picture of, you know, achievement and accomplishment, and like you're lining, you know, okay, it's time to leave earth, I'm going to line my pockets, load all up with all the gold that I've accumulated, and then we get there and they're like, why did you bring all that asphalt? <laughs> Chunks of concrete, we've got plenty of that. Because the value system of the kingdom is upside down. And when we begin to understand that, it changes everything about our lives, about our perspective, about the way that we live. So, how do we make this real? I think it's important to understand what Paul says next, is that our journey with Jesus, or our, 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 our process with Jesus is a journey. Verse 12, not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect. You and I are not going to be perfect this side of heaven. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. What a beautiful thought. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. But only let us hold true to what we have attained. But there's a lot there. We can't unpack it, but if we summarize it, God has grace for you in the moment, but he's calling you onward to journey with Jesus. Right? God meets us where we are. He loves you right where you are. If you don't understand that, that God loves you and accepts you no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, right where you are, right in the midst of your sin, right in the midst of your struggle or your pain or whatever the situation is. But he loves you too much to leave you there. That he wants 
you to journey with him, that there's a transformation process where we become more and more like Jesus through the process of counting all things lost and and making Jesus the center of our lives and humbling ourselves and serving others. And that journey, that process with him keeps unfolding. So give yourself grace in the moment of where you are and keep putting one foot in front of the other. Humility begins our joy knowing Jesus is the center of our joy. And finally, I would say that right thinking guards our joy. Right thinking guards our joy. Turn to chapter 4. We'll just read 4 through 8. Kind of working our way through the book of Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Right thinking guards our joy. Now, just a a couple of quick things. When I was just reading that passage and the scripture used the word anxiety, do not be anxious, right? Instead, let the peace of Christ in your heart. That was like a needle to some of you because you're dealing with anxiety and fear. And that's not, we'd have to spend the whole time today talking about that, but I don't want to gloss over that because that's where some of you are. And so there is a downloadable resource this week in the hub, thehub.epicos.org. That's kind of where we put stuff like this. And it's actually a four-part study from the the Center for Biblical Counseling. And it's an in-depth process, kind of some assignments and some Bible study and some perspective. If you're dealing with fear and anxiety, right, that's got a hold of your heart. This will be a resource that if you kind of are willing to do some study on your own or maybe print off two copies and invite a friend to join you, it's going to work you through that process of surrendering some of that. And and whether you're wired up that way naturally and kind of tend that way or you're just in a difficult season, it can speak the truth of God's word into anxiety and fear. The other thing I want to point out is that there's something unique about the structure of Philippians, that it's it's symmetrical. Um, Sometimes they call it... uh, chiasm or a chiastic structure and if you will it's like the a b c d c b a right so it kind of is the same forward and backwards right and the reason i'm pointing this out is because certain books in the bible are actually structured this way and structure helps us understand meaning and there's another resource that specifically went out to small group leaders this week but we also put it in the hub for you that talks about how to discern that structure in philippians so that we become better students of god's word we better discern how to understand that. 
And so the, this, the hymn and the teaching about Jesus is the center of the book, but there's kind of this ramp up before that and this ramp down after that, right? And so this is kind of one of those things that's put, pointing backwards to Jesus. The centrality of our joy is Jesus, but Paul teaches us that right thinking guards our joy. In fact, if we could perfectly apply this passage that whatever is true, whatever is just, whatever is pure, lovely, commendable, excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. If we could do that perfectly, we would experience perfect joy, right? But you and I know it's these kind of intruding thoughts sometimes that come in that rob us of our joy, and they come in all sorts of uh, different varieties. By the way, this is the main reason I don't participate in social media, right? It robs me of my joy. I never leave time on social media going, I'm so glad that I did that, right? So like three years ago, I just went on vacation and never came back. By the way, you can do the same thing. Nobody will notice. But think about even stories of right thinking in in difficult situations like concentration camps, right? That even in, in, in life's most horrible situations, how we focus our mind and our attitude in the process of our heart really matters. How we, how we think, how we process, what we let into our mind and what we allow to control that, that internal self-talk, right? That internal monologue. What are we saying to ourselves? And sometimes it's a matter of, of letting the darkness in. And you're struggling with a lack of joy because you're not guarding your thinking and you're allowing just pure darkness in. Right? This is why Christians have typically been very careful about what kind of media we consume, right? If you're allowing the darkness, for example, of like horror movies, it's going to become part of your thinking and, and darken your heart. Not that you're going to go out and, and do that, right? It's just darkness that you're allowing in. And the Bible says to guard our thinking and be careful what we meditate on, whether it's the kind of music that we listen to, the kind of media that we contain, the kind of way that we engage with social media, what we read, what we allow the narrative of our mind to be, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And sometimes it's, it's sinful things, right? Like if you're going to pour lust and pornography into your mind, it's going to darken your heart and your life. But it could just be relationally. And if you dwell on bitterness and unforgiveness... It's going to lead you down a path of of being robbed of joy as well. So here's the challenge is this week. There's so many different ways that this, what this can look like is I would encourage you to just kind of be very aware, take an audit, if you will, of what your thought life is like. What are you saying to yourself? What are you saying about your situation? What are you saying kind of when you're all by yourself? If you want to know what's going on in your mind, turn off all the music, sit quietly in a place and just kind of be alone with your thoughts. What are your thoughts? What's going on? Are you aware of how you're thinking? Paul calls us towards this because there's so much of joy that has to do with with what our minds are set on, and he's pointing us to Jesus. That this is what we consider worth above all, that this is what we value, that there's an aspect where that's what our mind and our heart is set on. So, What is it for you? We covered a lot of ground today. This is kind of the fun and the challenge of the series that we're in. We're going through the New Testament kind of book by book. We did all of Philippians. But there's a chance. If you you, uh, have room on your Connect card, you can just kind of, you know, my next step today, we're not going to do anything with that. 
unless you want us to, you know, have somebody call us or whatever. But what, it, what does that look like for you? Maybe you're going to write it down on, on, on your note page or, or put a note in your reminder in your phone. What is God calling you to do, right? Is it a step of humility? Is it embracing the humility of the gospel? Is it making Christ central in your life? Maybe it's that, that humble step of just turning your life over to Jesus and you're asking questions. Don't leave today until you've talked to somebody about that. Or maybe it's something to do with guarding your mind and your heart in Christ Jesus. But let's pray towards that end as we close. Would you join me? Heavenly Father, you are good. You are worthy of praise. You have initiated our salvation. You were the first to act. Even while we were sinners, you died for us. Lord, we thank you and praise you. We we ask that you would grant us more humility, that you would remove our pride and our arrogance, that we might know you and value you more, that you might become more and more the center of our lives, that you might transform us and change us to be more and more like you. God, have your way. Change our thinking. Change our heart. Change the valve of our heart that you might pour into us and we might pour out, that we might be true partners together in the gospel, serving you, counting all else as loss, and experiencing the death of the cross and the victory of your resurrection and new life in the kingdom of God. God, we pray these things in the name and power of Jesus Christ. Amen.